When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the We Are Podcast on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. This is a uh, kind of a special edition of the podcast because I'm going to try (laughs) to do everything I can (laughs) to get through this without hiccuping. I've had uh, the hiccups a good bit of the day, Friday evening actually, and I usually record these on Friday evening. I waited as long as I possibly could. And I'm like, you know what, dadgummit, I got to go out and record the podcast. So <laughs> here we go. Uh, what do you do for hiccups? What, what what do you folks out there do? Typically, I will eat a, a spoonful of peanut butter. I have found that works better than just about anything else I've ever tried. But the second thing that works for me is just kind of just talking a lot. I've done the radio For a lot of years, and what ends up happening is sometimes I'll have the hiccups, and as soon as I start talking on the radio, well, uh, they they either kind of go away or I don't notice them as much. I'm going to try to get through this without annoying the heck out of you folks and annoying myself, and between segments, I may go get some more peanut butter, but I've got a question for you. Uh, First of all, I've got a story up on the website this weekend about what a fantastic week it was for Penn State, both from a football recruiting standpoint, then the NBA draft with a couple of guys going in the draft for the first time ever for Penn State basketball. So you can go read that. I don't want to rehash too much, you know, what I wrote, uh, except for to say just, yeah, a tremendous week. Uh, the momentum continues for the Penn, Penn State football program. Recruiting is going exceptionally well. So I wanted to try to come up with a little bit, uh, something different, a little bit more fun here to have a nice discussion with on the podcast this week. So I'm going to ask you the question. Who is, who is your all time favorite Penn State football player? So now, if you're a younger person listening to the, to this, you might go with somebody over the last, you know, 5, 10, 15 years. Saquon Barkley is often an answer to that question for younger people. Trace McSorley is an answer to younger people. If you're kind of middle, middle aged, maybe you went to school 20, 30 years ago, y- your answers might be somewhere in the long, you know, in the lines of uh, Carrie, Carrie Collins or Michael Robinson or Larry Johnson or Paul Pozlozny or Sean Lee. Any one of the number of tremendous linebackers that were uh, at Penn State, what, in the mid-2000s. Now, if you're an older per- person, you grew up in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, whenever, you may go back to Todd Blackledge, Kijana Carter, Kurt Warner, uh, anybody else before that, John Capaletti. I'm from Altoona. I, I live in Altoona, so Mike Reed is the answer for a lot of folks here. Uh, the tremendous defensive tackle in the, the late 60s. So what is, who is your all-time favorite Penn State football player? I thought it'd be a fun question 
to kind of tackle. You can post your answer in the comments here. You can shoot me an email to cgsports12 at gmail.com. You also can uh, text me or what have you. But who's your all-time favorite Penn State football player? I See, I, I'm in the media. I can't really answer this question. I've covered Penn State since 2006. I can't answer it from a perspective of a fan. I can answer it from the perspective of the player I enjoyed co- covering the most. And again, I'll get through these hiccups as, <laughs> as best I can. Uh, but the player I enjoyed covering the most, I've mentioned this numerous times over the years, was Matt McGloin. I loved seeing what Matt McGloin was able able to overcome as a, a zero-star recruit and a guy that basically had no other options other than Penn State and ends up star- starting a handful of games in the NFL. Uh, number two on my list would probably be Trace McSorley. Again, for many of the same reasons as Matt McGloin, a guy that you know was really not sought after as a quarterback, but some somebody who certainly made the most of his uh, Penn State career and had a terrific career and actually started a game in, in the NFL last year for the Cardinals. So who is your all-time favorite player? I've had this discussion on the radio a number of times over the years, and I'm not necessarily asking who the best player is in Penn State history. That's not what I'm asking at all. I uh, I'm 49 years old. I've kind of been a baseball guy most of my adult life and, uh, you know, covering minor league baseball, played baseball and softball for decades and decades. So I've always kind of been a baseball guy. My all time favorite baseball player, if you've heard of this guy, you know, you, you, many of you will have heard of him and some of you will not, was Sean Dunstan, who played shortstop for the Chicago Cubs in the 80s and the 90s. He was the number one overall draft pick in 1982. I got WGN in around 85 when Dunstan was breaking in the big leagues. I played short shortstop. He played shortstop. He had the cannon arm, the greatest shortstop arm ever. So he was my favorite player. We pick our favorite players sometimes for different reasons. Again, if you're a younger person and you want to go with Saquon Barkley, obviously he was just sensational and a highlight reel. But sometimes you pick your favorite player because maybe you played a certain position. You played offense or or defense. You played linebacker. You played offensive line. You played tight end. You played receiver. You played cornerback. And you end up maybe kind of picking a guy that played that position. Obviously, there have been a number of superstars that have played at Penn State uh, throughout throughout the program's history. So you got a lot of choices to pick from. But one discussion I like to have a lot with sports fans is, how did you happen uh, to become a fan of your favorite team? You know, if you grew up in the area, it's easy to become a fan of that team. If you didn't grow up in the area... Sometimes it can be a very, very, very random thing. You started watching a team when you were eight years old on TV, and for some reason, it just kind of clicked for you. I was having this discussion the other day with uh, somebody locally here who's a Raiders fan. Actually, there are a lot of Raiders fans in Central PA, believe it or not, because when the Steelers and the Raiders were a big rivalry in the 70s, while everybody everybody else here was rooting for the Steelers, you actually have a handful of people that started rooting for the Raiders you know, that's probably not going to be the case in the Pittsburgh area, but, you know, maybe, maybe more so some other Steelers territory as well. So again, depending on your own personal situation, when you grew up and how and where that can determine 
you know, what your favorite sports team is. I'm a Syracuse fan. I've told this story many times over the years because when I was like 10 years old, I saw Pearl Washington hit a half court shot for Syracuse in 1985 to beat Boston College. And I don't know why that made me a Syracuse fan, but it just did basically forever. So when I ask you who your all-time favorite Penn State football player is, again, it might be uh, some obvious pick like a Kerry Collins or a Kijana Carter or Kurt Warner or some superstar, or it might be some lesser-known player like me with uh, Sean Dunstan in baseball. So it's always a fun discussion if you want to weigh in, again, in our comments here. And I'd, I'd love to hear some of the uh, see, see some of the thoughts from people on who you end up picking. And again, I can probably tell based on how who you pick, uh, roughly how old you are. Uh, because again, if you're an older person, you're going to most likely go to the 70s or 80s or something like that. I'll take a break. I'll try to get some peanut butter, control these dadgum hiccups, and be back after, after this. Welcome back. I'm going to ask you a baseball question, but it's going to actually pertain kind of to basketball here. So we kind of have a little bit of a fun discussion looking at it both ways. I used to always kind of think, would Derek Jeter have been a great player if he would have ended up with the Pittsburgh Pirates? Now, my guess is I'm not alone in asking that question. If you're a Pirates fan or you know some Pirates fans, you've probably heard something to that effect at some point. Uh, if Jeter was with the Pirates, he never would have would have been a great player. He wouldn't have been a Hall of Famer or what have you. Um, that's really not true. Derek Jeter had 3,400 hits in Major League Baseball. Uh, <laughs> he was going to be a Hall of Famer regardless with 3,400 hits. But... It's a good discussion because if Derek Jeter had been drafted by the Pirates and came up with the Pirates during the 20-year losing streak, okay, he would have played for some terrible, terrible baseball teams and a cheap franchise and owners that don't want to spend any money, and he would have lost his entire career. Now, if he would have st still ended up with 3,400 hits, he still would have gone to the Hall of Fame, but would he have ended up with 3,400 hits? The, the question pertains to, depending on the situation that you find yourself in, what kind of player do you become and how do we perceive you as a player? So uh, if Derek Jeter had come up with the Pirates, no, he may probably would have never played in the postseason. So all those 150 whatever games he played in the postseason, that, that would have never happened with the Pirates. Why am I ta talking about any of this while I'm still trying to battle the hiccups here? Um, I I'm going to make a, a what seem, might seem like a strange basketball transition here. I've always thought of Draymond Green as a guy that absolutely lucked out with where he wound up playing. Draymond Green with the Golden State Warriors has been a fantastic player. He is going to the Hall of Fame. He has been a tremendous, tremendous role player for 
the Golden State Warriors for a lot of years. They've won championships, and he he has filled a hugely significant role for that franchise, which has led been led by Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Kevin Durant for for a short period, and so Draymond Green could fill a tremendous role. And they could still win, and he could win a lot of playoff games, and he could win NBA championships doing certain things that helped that particular team. What if Draymond Green had ended up on a bad team? All right, I, This is what I've said for a, a long time. Draymond Green would have never become a, as respected or the kind of player that we look at in terms of his success if he would have ended up on a bad team that didn't win all the time where maybe he would have needed to score more which I don't think he really could do in the NBA and look if anybody disagrees with me about this feel free to drop me a comment I've got a buddy who is a Golden State Warriors fan he'll defend Draymond a lot but Draymond Green has been kind of a knucklehead doing and saying crazy things and getting himself self in trouble and kicked out of games and and hurting his team at times but he obviously has helped the Warriors a great deal over time because they have other pieces and he's has he has fit into that specific role that fit him well but if he had if he, if he had gone to a bad NBA team out of Michigan State and uh, things had gone a little differently. Would Draymond Green be anywhere near a Hall of Fame caliber player? My answer is no. I don't. I don't think so. Well, why am I talking about any of this? Uh, it's because of Jalen Pickett and him getting drafted by the Denver Nuggets on Thursday night, number thirty-two overall, second pick of the first round for the first time ever. Penn State had two. Players picked in the in, in the same NBA draft: Jalen Pickett going thirty second, Seth Lundy going forty sixth. That's fantastic, uh, just tremendous for the Penn State basketball program. Goes to show what kind of talent they did have on that team this past season. Andrew Funk, by the way, will go to the summer league with the Denver Nuggets as well. The Nuggets. General manager is Calvin Booth, former Penn State player. So obviously, I'm sure Calvin Booth knew and watched Jalen Pickett a lot. His son, Kerry Booth, committed to Penn State before decommitting and then going uh, and committing to Notre Dame with Micah Shrewsbury there. So uh, bottom line is uh, Jalen Pickett goes 32nd Seth Lundy goes 46th. I watched Jalen Pickett a ton in college. And while he was a sensational college player for Penn State because of his unique style of play and the booty ball and everything he could do as a big, strong point guard who could back guys in and uh, post them up and do those kinds of things in college ball. I never fully got the sense that that Jalen Pickett would be a great NBA player or even, you know, even much of an NBA player, you know. As I sit here now, a couple days after he's drafted, I still wonder what kind of NBA player he'll be because he's not a great ball handler. He's not a great three-point shooter. He he doesn't do things that current great NBA point guards do. Jalen Pitt, it's not his game. He plays a different kind of game, that old school, old man kind of game that we've heard about Jalen Pickett. But the reason I was talking about Derek Jeter earlier and the reason I was talking about Draymond Green earlier is because I think you take a look at Jalen Pickett and where he got drafted to and how that could end up being a tremendous asset for his career. Jalen Pickett is going to to the Denver Nuggets, the NBA champions. And while 
I don't think Jalen Pink is going to be a great NBA point guard by any stretch. The Nuggets run a style currently with Nikola Jokic where the, he is the point guard. He is the center. Not all the time, obviously. If you watch the Nuggets, uh, which maybe not a lot of you do, I, I've watched the Nuggets a good bit over the years. The style of play that, that they play, Nikola Jokic has the ball in his hands. He's the playmaking point center. He can do a lot of other things. And so if, if Jalen Pickett had been, had been drafted by somebody where they need him to come in and be a ball handling point guard, a, a significant period of time, portion of time, I don't know that Jalen Pickett, one, that, you know, a team would want him for that or two, that he could really succeed much in the NBA that way. And that was my big question, or that is my big question with Jalen Pickett going into the NBA, but going to the Nuggets, very different story. Again, I, I'm not sure how many people watch the Nuggets. Maybe you watch them in the NBA Finals, but Nikola Jokic and what they do with the Nuggets is so different that I think this this is a grand slam potentially for Jalen Pickett because he can maybe still play like a different kind of game if he doesn't have to have the ball in his hands all the time and he can maneuver around and post up other point guards and get in the paint uh, without necessarily ha- having to drive into the paint. He can get in the paint and get a pass or what have you. Uh, it's very interesting to think about where you end up, what, te- what team you end up with can determine a significant portion of your career and success. Again, Derek Jeter drafted by the Pirates. Is he the same player? Absol- absolutely not. Draymond Green drafted by the Charlotte Hornets is he, or Bobcats or whatever. Is he the same player? Absolutely not. But d- depending on where you go, where you end up, and what kind of fit you are, that could be a significant portion. Happy for Seth Lundy. He went. He was drafted about where we kind of thought in the mid-40s going to the Atlanta Hawks. But Jalen Pickett's going to be very interesting to watch. I can't wait. I, I stay up late a lot of times and watch the NBA late at night, uh, you know, out, out west. I, I've enjoyed watching the Nuggets over time because Jokic is such a unique player. I'm looking forward to seeing how Jalen Pickett fits into that system because Calvin Bo- Calvin Booth is probably sitting there saying, hey, we got a point center. We don't need Jalen Pickett to be the point guard. Maybe we can utilize his strengths in another way. That's going to be really cool to watch over the years. Welcome back to our third and final segment of our hiccup special edition of the We Are podcast. I've been able to get through this about as well as I could. I went back and ate a whole lot more peanut butter, drank a couple of uh, sips of red wine to see if I can get rid of these stupid things. I'm going on hours here now. It's one of those things where sometimes you get the hiccups for like a long period of time you get a big headache and it just gets so freaking aggravating and this happens to me probably once or twice a year maybe no more than that but uh (laughs) again i apologize to everybody hopefully hopefully i've been able to get through this relatively okay where you can still understand what the heck i've been talking about i want to thank uh people um both here and I'll do this on the website as well. I wrote a column last week about 
what college football could look like in 10 years. I received a great deal of feedback, just a a tremendous amount of feedback. Uh, Not a ton of comments on the website, but I got a bunch of emails, a bunch of uh, of text messages over the week from probably probably four or five dozen people uh, just you know, throwing out an idea here or there. A lot of it's about conference realignment. But with the start of college football season, we're 10 weeks away now. We're we're 10 weeks away uh, from Penn State, West Virginia, and the start of the 2023 college football season. So uh, very, very exciting. And as we start to think about what the future could end up holding, again, I got a lot of uh, feedback from people talking about conference realignment and this could happen here. This could happen with Notre Dame or super conferences or what have you. I want to revisit one thing real, real quick here to close up this podcast, kind of reiterate what I wrote about how we don't know what TV will look like in 10 years. Now, this isn't so much a college football discussion. This is a, a society and just kind of uh, entertainment and life question. How do you watch your TV? All right. Well, what do you what do you watch? Okay, do you get Netflix? Do you have YouTube TV? Uh, do you still have DirecTV or Dish? Do you still have cable cable or whatever it is that you have? It's amazing to me. Again, just as an American citizen, how TV consumption has changed so dramatically. Over time, maybe you have a Netflix subscription that you share with other people in your family. Ah, wink, wink, wink. Maybe you have a YouTube subscription or somebody else has an HBO subscription and they give you your, their password or what have you. There are just so many different ways that we consume our media. And again, this doesn't really have a whole lot to do with Penn State or sports in general. It's just that. When you watch TV nowadays, think about how different it is than even five, 10 years ago, let alone 20, 30 years ago when we actually had cable TV and all that. We cut the cord. I want to say, looking back on it, we cut the cord probably five years ago. We had, uh, we would, what I would do was, was go back and forth between Dish Network and Direct TV. I'd have one for two or three years and then another would have a big special. And then I would switch to that to get it for free, uh, you know, to get a, like a, uh, 50% off discount for a year, or what have you. And I'd keep that for two or three years. And then I'd go back to the, I did that for, I don't know, 10 years or so. And then it just got to the point where, I'm paying 120 bucks for this satellite service and, and, and I got 500 channels and I watch like nine, eh, maybe 15. I don't know, but it just got to the point where this is ridiculous. Why do I have all of these channels that I'm not watching? I don't need 65 music channels. I just don't. And so I cut the cord. We went to uh, a different setup, a streaming setup here a few years ago, and it's worked out perfectly for us. We kind of do wink, wink, wink. Some of the whole sharing of streaming services thing. We pay for some. Some other people say pay for some. We share and blah, blah, blah. Lots of people do it. Uh, I'm not sure how much longer people are going to be able to do it, but a lot of people do that as well. But Hey, I don't want 15 streaming services. I don't want to have to pay for Netflix and HBO and YouTube and, and Disney and Peacock and, and Apple TV and all. I don't want to have to pay for it. It's ridiculous because it basically just gets you back to the same point 
of where we were, you know, with cable or satellite. If you're paying for three, four hundred channels and you don't watch hardly any of them, it's, it's become just ridiculous. So, again, no matter how you consume your TV, just what I'm asking you is think about how different it is than five or ten years ago. So what's it going to be like 10 years from now? Do, does anybody have any idea what TV is going to be like five or 10 years from now? My, you, you don't. I guarantee you don't. You know why? Because the networks themselves don't. People like ESPN and these other networks, they have no clue what the future is going to hold. They're laying people off left and right, all these networks. Cable TV is dying you know, they're not going to be able to get the huge subscription rates that they've been able to get for years, which means is ESPN going to be able to continue to pay hundreds of millions of dollars for broadcast rights for all these sports? So that's where we get into this giant unknown of what the future is going to look like. This is very, very interesting to me. As you can tell, I've been talking about this for five or six minutes now. Maybe this isn't all that interesting to a lot of you. But when I say what will college football look like in 10 years, when I wrote what I did last week, the reason I started with number one being to the TV, what TV consumption is going to be like in 10 years. Again, we have no idea. Where is the money going to come from? What networks are going to be around? Which networks are going to be loaded? Are they still going to see value value in paying hundreds and hundreds of millions or billions of dollars for TV rights? They will for the NFL, I'm sure. But for everything else, I mean, hey, are these networks going to have the kind of money if they're laying people off left and right, and then they do not in, ter- in turn have their uh, consistent, significant revenue stream like what cable has always provided, say ESPN and Disney. I know I'm getting really technical here, and that's not my purpose. Uh, my purpose was just to get you to think a little bit about the way you consume, consume and watch things on TV now and what it might be like in 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years. It's a great unknown. I used to, I was still re- renting Blockbuster videos 15 years ago. Now Blockbuster is long gone. VHS is long gone. It's never coming back. What will the next thing be? Do you remember, do you remember when you first heard of streaming? I do. Let, let me, let me tell a quick story. You know, so I grew up in the, in the eighties, uh, early nineties. I remember internet and, uh, wifi or high or, or uh, dial up modems. And then you connect at uh, 14.4.28.8, or luckily if you could get 56.6 or what ha- whatever, uh, you know, that depended on how, how quickly you could load a web page or anything like that. So when, when streaming, we first heard of streaming, I don't know how many years ago, 15 years, years ago, I always kept thinking, there's no way we're going to be able to do this. It's going to take forever. It's going to take forever to stream these movies. There are going to be all these delays. It's going to take forever for, you know, the, the, the shows to download or the internet's going to be a problem or what have you. There was a big hiccup. I've been trying to avoid it, but it's going to be a big problem. And hey, up until, I don't know, six, eight years ago, I kind of still felt that way. Now, obviously you don't have to feel that way anymore. You can sit down, you can watch Netflix or any of your streaming services. And if you if you live in a decent area, you're never going to have you know any kind of interruption. My point with all this is, 
This is just within eight or 10 years that we've, that we've made these kinds of strides. What's it going to look like 10 years from now? What's it going to look like 20 years from now? Who are the broadcasters going to be? Where is this money going to be? You know, so kind of in closing this week, when I wrote what I did last week about what will college football look like in 10 years, it's really more of an allegory of what will our society look like in 10 years, 20, 20 years. Where will, how will we watch TV? Where will the money come from all of these entertainments? So will Netflix be double, triple, quadruple the size that it is now? Or will Netflix go by the wayside and somebody else will come up? Will Apple TV become the the greatest, you know, biggest thing in the world or what have you? Hey, we just don't know. And because we don't know the answers to that, I don't really know what the what the answer to future sports consumption is. I had several people mention to me, well, you know, Notre Dame, they're going to get their money. They're going to get their money. They're going to remain independent. They're going to get their TV money. They're not going to join the Big Ten because they're going to find a way. Well, I mean, we've been able to say that forever because there were networks and NBC willing to give them the money. But is that going to be true? 5, 10, 15 years from now, is Notre Dame really going to be able to keep up with the Big Ten and the SEC SEC when it comes to the money? When if they remain in I just don't I don't think so at all. I don't know what network in their right mind would pay Notre Dame Notre Dame $75 million for their football games. Because that's what they're going to need to keep up with the Big Ten and the SEC. So when I say I think Notre Dame's going to end up having to join a conference at some point. A large part of that is because I don't think there are going to be these crazy TV networks out there doling out $75 million to Notre Dame to air their football. So anyway, I know that's kind of a kind of branched out into some different discussions there, but I think about that stuff a lot. Like what is our, what's the future of our society going to be? How fast, how rapidly things have changed just in the last generation or so. And my goodness, how quickly things could end up changing over the next generation. All right, I'm going to stop talking. I'm sorry for hiccuping so much. Hopefully, I won't have to go through this again. But appreciate everybody tuning in. We'll talk again next week. 